Theme music, please. Aloha, I'm Mick Calver. And I'm Bruce Amori. And together, we're on Hawaiian, Hawaiian Time. time. <laughs> <laughs> on Hawaiian Time is a podcast where Bruce and I talk story about life, unfiltered, here on the Big Island. Okay, we've got a real great episode for you today. On Hawaiian time, we're going to reflect back on the two-year anniversary of the eruption right here in Leilani, the Puna eruption, which began in 2018 in Leilani Estates. And that's right where I'm sitting, along with my trophy wife, Anne. Aloha. And our illustrious producer, Tim. Hey there, Mick. And the amazing Bruce Omori. How's it? Bruce is joining us from his Extreme Exposure Gallery in Hilo. And Ryan Finley, the famous Ryan Finley, is joining us from Oregon. Ryan founded Hawaii Tracker, very important online group, a critical resource for residents during the eruption. Ryan, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mick. Okay, so it was two years ago on May the 3rd when this whole thing broke open. It started on Mohala Street in Leilani Estates, but on April 30th, just before that, Pu'uo'o, the vent that had been pushing lava out for almost 35 years continuously, actually collapsed. There were a lot of, uh, there were several days of constant earthquakes and a whole lot of nervousness in the neighborhood on the whole lower East Rip Zone, actually. Annie and I were living here in Leilani, and it was an interesting moment in time, wasn't it, Annie? Well, it really was. We, we were waiting for something. We knew something was going to happen. Bruce, where were you at uh, the day that the, the vent collapsed? I happened to be at Paradise Helicopters uh, office in Kona, and I was talking to the marketing director, uh, Dalen Mabuni, and um, uh, we were talking about the changes that were happening at Pu'u'o'o leading up to that time. And I, so I pulled up the USGS um, uh, seismic activity chart and uh, there was this huge anomaly. <laughs> Couldn't figure out what was going on, you know, because if, if it's like, wow, well, what's this, you know? <laughs> so I, I told Dalen, ah, must have been some kind of error, you know. So, but anyway, this is what we look at when we are checking out the uh, seismic activity. Lo and behold, that was the exact moment when Pu'u'u'u collapsed. Ryan, where were you at? When did you first get the news when that happened? So I was here in Oregon uh, at the time, and I had I had been paying pretty close attention to because there was a bunch of weird things going on up there at Pu'u'u'u. And um, that was some, that was significant, um, and so that had everyone's attention. And um, so yeah, I was I was paying pretty close attention, um, and I think it was within what was it a day or two, and we started seeing cracks forming in Leilani. Yeah, yeah, that's when I really started focusing on it. And I think Ikaika and, and uh, they, they started mapping the cracks throughout the neighborhood, and I was like, so you know, that's when I started digging in, like, well, what's causing what's causing these these cracks and there was kind of a I don't know if you guys remember but it was a kind of a cryptic message coming out of um, from USGS where it was the only one that the public got um, but it said that um, 
the magma, um, there, it basically said that there was an intrusion of magma that was causing those cracks. And um, the, nobody came out and said that uh, an eruption or lava was imminent, but lava was pushing up, causing the ground to crack, and then we started seeing gases and, um, yeah. When the cracks happened, we actually went down and talked to the scientists down there, and they, they wouldn't say, of course, it's imminent, but they said that something is happening here, and this, if it's going to happen, this would be the most likely place for it to happen. So, you know, it, it was, I wouldn't say it's obvious, but there was, it was definitely indicated. So, of course, nobody wanted to believe it, really, you know. Nobody, I don't want to hear it, I don't want to hear it, I don't want to hear it, you know. I think it might have been when USGS also, um, it had got, you know, the, the question had gone to him, you know, has this ever happened before? And somebody mentioned 1955, and so we started digging up maps, and we saw the old fissure line, right, straight through Leilani going down, and... Um, yeah, that's when, and and again, there weren't there was no warnings being made to anybody at the time, other than what USGS was kind of uh, hinting at. So I'm just uh, I'm I'm sharing a post, and we'll put this up on our uh, our Instagram feed too on Hawaiian Time Podcast. I, I really stuck my neck out when I <laughs> when I made this. <laughs> Ryan on Hawaii Tracker on May second of 2018 uh, posted a map, and he circled an area. Uh, that had most of the earthquake activity and pretty much Ryan can you explain that sort of putting the warning out to people right yeah I mean it was uh, nobody knew what was going on but it was very evident that we were looking at the potential eruption right in the middle of the neighborhood along that strip and but but there was no warnings I just kind of felt that was really odd and the whole neighborhood, we were having earthquakes constantly. It was like someone was bumping the house, you know, and they were continually. So we knew something was happening. And to a certain level, it was kind of exciting to think about a new eruption. I just didn't want it in my neighborhood, you know. <laughs> but there was, there was something thick in the air. Something was happening. Yeah, and at, at first, Andy's right. At, at first, they were just bumps, you know, just a single bump. And then after a while, they started bump up bump up, you know, the, the thing, and they became more frequent. But they were all building up, of course, to the big 6.9. You know, it was interesting because I had met Mick and Bruce. Well, I had met Mick probably 12 years ago, but I had met Bruce in 2017. We started a project called Hot Seat Hawaii, and at the time it was intended to be a, a sort of a lighthearted series, um, inviting a guest up to sit in the empty uh, seat in the helicopter as they flew over the volcano and talk story and have coffee and at that time the the eruption was relatively calm and approachable and uh so so i was in connecticut when this started happening and uh, i was getting texts from bruce and mick saying something's going on something's going on i think this idea for our show is going to have to you know hit the back burner because this is something bigger and this and that so i'm i was like should i fly out there what do you think and you know, they didn't say, yeah, get out here. But Mick was like, well, if I were you, I would. So this was, um, <laughs> I think, maybe right before, right after the collapse. And so I booked my ticket on May 2nd to come out. And then I saw that post that Ryan shared that said, looks like it could come up in Leilani. And then I knew I was going to stay with Mick and Ann in Leilani. So I'm kind of freaking out. Like, what am I doing? <laughs> and then we kind of went from there and just kept tracking and, and listening to 
people on social media like yourself, Ryan, and Hawaii Tracker getting the info out, and, and Ikaika Marzo became a big voice on social media. It was really interesting to watch the shift. We were, over the eruptions over many years ago when Pua'o first started, we were, our only resource was a, a civil defense announcement. Now everyone was shifting from waiting for the county to tell us to suddenly listening to what was Ryan saying, what was Ikaika saying. You know, it really made a drastic shift and it really at the same time saved us. The more information we could get, the better. And I can't tell you how thankful we are that these people just stepped up and boy, they, they saved us, they really did. It was really interesting the way that came down too because what we learned in that was civil defense isn't gonna tell us what's happening on a day-to-day -day basis. USGS isn't going to tell us what's happening. The police aren't going to tell us what's happening. There's nobody to tell the people really on the ground what's happening in a, on a day-to-day -day basis. And it fell to social media. As Annie was just saying, it fell to Hawaii Tracker, to Ikaika Marzo, even to Bruce and I. Bruce and I were documenting the eruption. We weren't out there to provide information for everybody, but it became that. You know, it, and, and it was really a, a beautiful use of social media you know it was really social media stepped up to the plate because it's really not it, it's not the job of usgs they're not going to do that you know to to inform people and we have people out there dying what's happening with my house what's happening with the road what's happening you know they wanted any information and and like I always say, living in the Puna, there's a whole bunch of Punatics that live out here, and I'm one of them, you know. And, and if you don't give them information, they flip out. You know, we, we all have a tendency to, to go out to Venus, you know. And if you give them information, you know, it, even if it's bad information, even if, if it's your neighbor's house burned down, your house burned you know, if they at least know what's happening, it brings them down to Earth, you know. It brings them down a notch. And we don't have the conspiracy theories and all the other crazy mm -hmm. stuff that came out because it did. People would go crazy if they didn't know what was happening. Yep. So it was a very valuable thing that, that Ryan, that all of us did, I guess. Yeah, yeah. you know, that all started back in um, 2014 or 15 when- Yeah, 14. Yeah, the Pahoa flow. Yep. The, the information that USGS and civil defense uh, put out was far from what the people needed. So I think, you know, when we started, when Mick, when you and I started flying and we started posting our photos along with our observations, I think um, that kind of, along with what uh, everybody else was posting as well, you know, from Pahoa and the guys uh, hiking out into the forest and stuff. Yeah. It all added up to a real big, um, a movement on social media for um, providing that information everybody needed. That's yeah, that's actually where I, I kind of originally had the idea for Hawaii Tracker. And actually back then in 2014, it was called Lava Tracker. And we oh were six, God. we were six months away from move, our family moving out to Pahoa right in the middle of town. And that eruption was going on. And it was, you know, it was a 24 hour a day disaster. The lava was coming straight down towards town. It was a significant deal. And, um, and the hunger and the, the desire for information, it was a 24 hour a day thing. Like everyone wanted to know what's the latest. And, um, you know, the news, the traditional 
news. I mean, that you know, they're typically at their news cycles like once a day. Um, but then on top of that, there was USGS submitting their reports. And then there were you guys. You guys were flying back then. And you would get your videos and the photos plus your eyewitness accounts. And that's where I kind of had the idea, oh, what if we made a, sp- a place where everyone could, could – we could gather all this information that's constantly coming out into one place where people could share this information and then – it was also a disaster. It was a place for people to encourage and comfort each other and let needs be known. And um, fortunately, you know, we all know how that ended. You know, whatever <laughs> is 100 feet short of Pahoa Village Road. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> it was unbelievable. Um, but it stopped, you know, and went back up the mountain and eventually back out to the ocean. And that was different. Pahoa was different. It was it was all the fear that came out. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? And all the crazy theories that started, you know, and nothing ever materialized, really. Yeah. And, and th- but then when it came out to Leilani and, and uh, Kapoho, then it became angst. You know, then it became more than just a casual, what are we going to do if the road gets cut off? You know, then it was, uh, will there be anything left? Was this going to turn into Pu'uo'o again? You know, are we going to have something that's going to, uh, erupt here for for uh, years and years and years. And we wondered about that because it was like it was never, ever going to stop. It was crazy. Yeah, it was. I got to take a moment here to um, make a shameless promotion for the documentary we're, work- we're working on, have been working on for the last 18 months, and this thing has got to get done sometime soon. Uh, now that the paying jobs have gone away, maybe this is a blessing in disguise, but I'm going to play a little clip from when the eruption actually started here, and maybe we can talk a little bit about this. We get to Leilani and we fly all around Leilani and we see nothing. And then we land and we go about our business. I come home and the next thing you know, it's erupting on Mohala. Eruption in Leilani. No joke. Um, lava is coming out right now. What street is this, guys? Mohala Street. Mohala Street erupting. Oh my God, it's happening. It's happening. And that's when all hell broke loose and uh, it was me, my cousin Andrew, and my cousin Bula. And the first initial thing was like, let everybody know. Hello? Woo! See if anybody's home. So we got on our Polaris's and we ran to every road that was three roads, four roads away from Mohala. And we went to door to door. People are walking dogs, people are just cruising. Do you guys live close? Yeah, yeah evacuate right now. The lava is pumping out right now. So. Serious? I'm serious. There's an eruption right here. Yeah, get out of here. Okay, yeah. thank you very yeah. much. You're welcome, guys. So that's obviously Kaika, and uh, by that time, I think he already started developing quite a following on Facebook with all his updates about the cracks and things happening in Leilani. Mm-hmm. And were you uh, friends with Kaika, or were you familiar with Kaika Ryan at that time? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, we'd we'd bu- I'd bump into him mostly down at Pohiki. You know, he was coming in and out. You know, fishing and things like that. So I'd see him down there in his boat. So, yeah, I mean, I, I had, I'd been connecting with him a, a few times in the, in the previous few days. Cause yeah, they were doing a lot of groundwork going around, um, mapping all the cracks, which, you know, <laughs> once we saw them on a map, you could see that they were in a straight line going right through the neighborhood. And you're just like, <laughs> it was starting, I'm like, Oh, this isn't just random. Like there's yeah. actually some, something's, something's happening here. And, tell me, tell me about the coordination. Cause you're in Oregon, right? And yeah, and at that point, are you sort of a one-man operation? What was Hawaii Tracker like at that point? Because I know, obviously, 
things ramped up with your coverage as the eruption ramped up. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was pr pretty much just me. Um, you know, Mike Purvis was also, uh, he was another admin at the time and, um, you know, he'd help out occasionally, but yeah, it was, you know, things, there was, it was pretty uneventful leading up to that, you know, it was kind of a, a, I wouldn't say boring, but it was a slow moving last three or four years leading up to that eruption. And, um, but yeah, the, the, I think it was in the morning that of the eruption on May, on May 3rd, um, everything changed. I mean, it was just the most surreal, you know, seeing those first images of, and in the first video of the lava coming out of the ground, I just remember calling my wife into the room and I was like, this is, this is, this is really serious. Everything's changed, you know? And I mean, literally that day on, it was 16 hours a day, um, early in the morning, late at night, um, and several times, you know, several nights through those early days, it was hard to go to sleep, you know, because a fissure would go off and there were still people in the neighborhood. And, you, and and so many people started joining the group that, you know, it was becoming a really big news source. And you started feeling this pressure of um, a safety that we were actually getting news out to, to keep people safe, too. And, ugh, yeah, Cause I think it was within the first couple of weeks, um, Sarah... Wilkinson joined and, and then Dane DuPont and uh yeah the team the team just kind of was formed so and you yes. guys were invaluable you guys did a great job absolutely you know absolutely. I remember the those those first couple of days it was so that your word for it that you just used is perfect for it that's that's the word that I use surreal yeah. it was absolutely surreal you looked at what was happening you couldn't believe your eyes yeah. you know it was just so crazy and it, and it was so in the moment, you know, we, we think of, of uh, life as being static, you know, things being the same day after day after day. And that really showed us, hey, you know what, it's changing all the time. You know, so many things happen in such a short period of time. When that first happened on Mohalla, and we came home and we're, we edit, edited the stuff, and then, you know, we didn't want to leave. We wanted to stay here. We're, we're on Kupono. So we're probably six blocks away from where it started, upslope. So we're thinking, we're okay. And we, we spent the night that night and didn't get much sleep. And uh, the, the, uh, Annie probably can recall this better than I can, but the um, fire trucks started coming on, the police started coming around in the morning. You know, you must evacuate, you have to get out of your house right now, you know, all this stuff. And, and he says, what do, I, what do I tell him? I said, tell him we're leaving, but we weren't, you know. And um, <laughs> we, we wanted to stay. And then the next morning, I get a call real early in the morning from Ikaika. And he says, Mick, get down here. It's erupting on Kalpili. And, you know, the day before, when I, the first day, it was a mess. I mean, there were police down there. They were, they were totally intolerant of anybody being there. We finally got in a helicopter and flew it. And it, it was really hard to work around on the ground. So he said, come down. And I said, well, are, is there authority down there? And he said, no, nobody's here, just the uh -huh. local residents. So I went down, and, and it, was, it was perfect. You know, I was able to get up really close to the eruption. I Calpili get some great stuff. We go home. We're editing the stuff for the news, and we're in the edit room, which is separate from our house. And um, we're talking to CNN, and all these people are calling, and things are going crazy. And we come out of our place, and we can smell... I could smell smoke. Annie thinks she smelled gas. Maybe, maybe she did. But we were like, well, okay, apparently we're going to have to go. And our kids were bugging us, you know. We were, have you left yet? Have you left yet? Have you, you know. 
and we're like, yeah, I guess we gotta go, you know. So we start packing up all the essentials, the computers and the main things that we need. We go out, we have them in the in the car, and the, I have French doors that go into the edit room, and the, the one door, it's open and it's waffling. It's going, it's wiggling. And I'm like, what the hell, you know? It's like the wind was blowing it. I pushed it open, and it, and it came right back to where it was, and it keeps wiggling, waffling. I went, uh-oh, you know? And it maybe 20 seconds later, we're right, just ready to step in the car. Bam, the 6.9 goes off, and everything is moving. The poles are moving, the cement is moving. The cement's going waves. It was just insane. Everything was wiggling, shaking, falling, crazy. We said, we gotta get out of here. We hop in the car, we speed up, and cars are pulling out right and left out of driveways. Everybody's bailing out of Leilani, you know. Time to go. Time to go. It was really nuts there. Really, really nuts. And it didn't didn't lighten up either, actually. One of the first uh, points of lava coming out was in the backyard of a gentleman who was uh, used to do work on catchments, uh, Stefan. And he said he looked out his back window and there was lava. And it's one of those things you see it, but your brain can't wrap around it, yeah. you know. <laughs> and he, he spun out of there and, um, you know, everything was gone within a middle matter of hours. And at no time it was interesting. People say, oh, my God, you must have been scared. I was never scared. I knew that it was going to be different. I always thought that it was just going to come up a little and then stop, you know. It was six blocks down from us and really had no fear you know i was out cold before the at night before the um sirens went off and uh you know it was still pretty light-hearted i mean at 7 a.m after mick headed down to meet up with ikaika we had the singing firemen going up and down the street singing good morning you know i mean it was it was funny you know <laughs> it was so casual and then, you know, as it slowly starts to unfold and get bigger and bigger and bigger, um, that's when it kind of likes, okay, uh, it can stop now. Well, the crazy thing is like, you know, that first fissure opens up on May 3rd and on the 4th, you've got fissure two, fissure three, fissure four, five, and six all open up. So like that thing escalated quickly. Yeah, sure um, did. And at the, I remember I, you know, I had booked my flight for May 4th so, you know, May 3rd, I saw the first eruption and I'm calling Mick and I'm saying, did you guys evacuate? No, no. And I said, wait, I, I heard on the news it was mandatory. <laughs> He's like, well, mandatory, they really can't make you leave. And now I'm like, whoa, it's erupting six blocks from him and I'm still going to stay in that house tomorrow. So unbeknownst to Mick and Ann, I booked Airbnb in Hilo. <laughs> <laughs> I got on my flight. I had a layover in Maui. I landed, I turned my phone on, and I hear about the 6.9, and I hear about all the fissures that are going off, and I thought, you know, maybe I'll just hang out in Maui for a week. <laughs> <laughs> but I did get a text from uh, Mick's daughter, Irene. She said, no, they just evacuated. They're going to be staying with me, but I don't have any room for you. I hope you got a place to stay. I said, well, I got three nights at an Airbnb. I'll figure it out. Didn't have any room for you. They didn't have any room <laughs> for us. Yeah. But they took us anyway. Well, I landed at the airport in Hilo, I don't know, about 4 o'clock, and Mick picks me up. And I said, are you sure you can pick me up? Yeah, yeah, I'll pick you up. He rolls in in his, his Volkswagen with the HD lava plates. And I go to get in, and the thing is full to the roof with material belongings, things that he brought from home. And I think the dog was even in there. And like, there's nowhere for me to sit. I said, Mick, how, where am I going to sit? Because I don't know, push some stuff around. I'm evacuating, brah. 
got to do what you got to do. Oh, that was nuts. That's when it hit me. I was like, whoa, what, what am I doing out here? I, don't, I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> Life turned into every morning. You got your, your uh, boot cam shots off of Bruce's shoe of what was happening. Then you got your interview. <laughs> and then, of course, Ikaika would pop up with a morning update. And that was pretty much, you know, I used to say I'd go, I'd wake up with Ikaika and I'd go to sleep after his updates, you know, with Malika Lincoln and all of that. I mean, life was through the computers. Yeah. And then Dr. Phil. And yeah, and in between it was Phil yes. and Ryan yes. and Dane. There was one incident that, you know, uh, it was interesting having um, a lot of people suddenly becoming, you know, um, reporters. And um, there was one Sunday night that was uh, pretty upsetting for me. There was a couple guys uh, sitting at the uh, Leilani Community Center uh, having beers and watching uh, the glow in the sky and from their uh, seats were calling out where they thought the, uh, the lava was going and what houses might be going up. They weren't seeing these houses going up, but they were just guessing. And by the looks of these people on a live feed that were looking at it, I knew that people were thinking their houses were gone. You know, and it really made me realize, and, and finally a message got to these guys saying, you're calling shots on stuff you don't know, you know. And, and it really upset me, you know. You've been given this bit of fame uh, to be able to report live on these things, but with it comes responsibility. And, you know, I take off my hat, Hawaii Tracker and, and all you guys have really did a quick job about covering stuff uh, and doing a really uh, great job of getting that information out in a real Accurately. respectful way. Accurately. Yeah. yeah, no, it was, you know, we, in those, especially in those early days, um, you guys probably remember Chris Burmeister and um, Heath. Heath Chris Dalton. and Heath, yep, and Heath Dalton. Um, those two in particular every day at least a couple times a day in the morning and in the night they would go around and with a map and actually map like so we would have a pretty accurate um you know line on the map like how far the lava had come up each street and which houses were still left and yeah it was um it was such a team effort you know there's so many people um i don't kind of call them citizen journalists so many people stepped up to help um because it was such an enormous task of trying to stay on top of everything and what was going on and quite a conundrum too because you know access to the lava was not easy often there was no access if you lived in leilani like yep. mick did you were fortunate to have access because he was not only a resident he was a journalist so he could get some information out other residents in leilani could too but at one point it's like you know how do you draw the line who's who is allowed to report on it? Who isn't? And civil defense is sort of trying to delineate who's allowed in and who's not. There's people going in under false pretenses because they want to, you know, get photos or video and, and report on it. And it's not all a bad thing. I mean, just because it's illegal doesn't mean it's, it's a bad thing in this case because you're getting information out that otherwise yeah. isn't getting out there. Yeah, it was one of the most I think it was one of the most frustrating things, how difficult it was. Um to cover it. And, um, yeah, it was, I think I wrote a post about it at one point that it, it, it just made it extra painful because it was, um, everyone was sitting around watching the neighborhood slowly get swallowed by the lava, but they couldn't 
but nobody was allowed to cover it, you know. I mean, so everyone was kind of sneaking around, and um, it just made it more. It just made it harder, you know, because you couldn't. Nobody could see it unfold, and um, but yeah, we, we still we did our best, and a lot of people stepped up. Yeah, it was a difficult situation, you know, for like Mick and myself. We're credentialed journalists, photojournalists, and. Uh, the County of Hawaii and uh, Civil Defense and USGS, they didn't allow us to go in and do our work. Yeah. That's work that needed to be done by professionals. And um, yeah, they didn't give us the access that we needed. Yeah. They made us fly at, what was it, Bruce, 3,000 feet we had to stay? Yeah, That's half a crazy. mile in the air. We're shooting, it's like Google Earth, you know? Yeah. It was nuts. But you know, what, what you were just made me think of, Ryan, was that we've had a real paradigm shift when it comes to journalists. And it kind of began here on the island with the 2014 event because they were trying, they decided, um, uh, Oliveira was the civil defense director then, and they decided not to give press passes to people. And, you know, I, I, I understood what the problem was. It's, they had, all these people that say they're press, you know, and it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm working for Johnny's blog, you know, I'm working for USGS, I'm working for ABC News. Well, who's legitimate, who's not legitimate, you know, and who makes that decision? So it's really, really difficult. So they just said, no, we're not gonna give it to anybody. And that's, mm -hmm. that's kind of, you know, that was the start of that, but Leilani was the result of that. You know, the Leilani, they, they evacuated Leilani or parts of Leilani, and they kept, only let people that lived in Leilani come in, theoretically. Other people got in, but yep. you know, it held everybody out. And so the, the people that should have been there couldn't get there. Yep. And a lot of the people that shouldn't be there ended up in there. So it was, it was really crazy. But they, they really clamped it down and it was really stupid. It was silly, yep. but yep. that was the way it was. Well, you had the National Guard bringing in I guess credentialed media at some point later on in the eruption, what maybe once a day. Um, I don't know if that's just to pacify everybody or not, but it, it wasn't much of wasn't much in terms of access. No, yeah. it but then what was it? The sixth, I think, it erupted, and I think it was Fisher six on the sixth, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong, but when that eruption happened, it was the most sizable eruption, and it started going north. Instead of following the line northeast or east-northeast, it went almost due north. It paralleled our street. That's when I got worried because we went, uh-oh, you know, we didn't know that could happen. And yeah. that ended up being the river. That ended up being the exact path of, of the river from Fisher 8 after Fisher 8 reactivated. Hmm. So you know, it, was, it was really it was disturbing. And then ultimately, it was the only thing that saved us because that river contained the lava and it didn't spread outside of that. If that river hadn't formed, it would have just spread all over Leilani. It yeah. would have taken everything out here. So anyway, that was is that the Is that the moment, because there was, there was one moment that stuck out to me where uh, Travis Sanders had gone in there and he was on top of a roof. Do you guys remember that piece of yeah. footage yeah. where he got emotional? That was one of the most surreal that was a moment. I mean, it was just such an because I think that's what was going on. It was the beginning of the river that we were yeah. seeing. It was just one of the most mind blowing uh, pieces of video I've ever seen. You know, because yeah. you're you're trying to comprehend 
at the same time you're seeing a house and a backyard and you know little kid toys and then you're seeing a raging river of lava right next to it and it was just yeah crazy the 1955 eruption began in Leilani or at the edge of Leilani and went down uh, toward Opikau and, and various different areas over there um, but and I don't I don't wasn't really aware of that you know I knew there were cinder cones here but I didn't really realize what was happening but they said what the initial eruption that happened here was 1955 lava or even could have been 1924 lava we didn't even know that could happen we didn't even how could lava be down in the ground for 55 years 50 however many years and then come out we're like oh my god it's still fluid how is that possible but it was really really thick really thick and it didn't go very far it was viscous and you know it would only hit little area little area little area and then the Pu'u'u'u eruption showed up and you know that the USGS says that there it's crossed there were it's not a distinct time when it happened they overlap 1955 to Pu'u'u'u and Pu'u'u'u to Hale lava. but you can see when you look at what happened it's kind of like the Pu'u'u'u lava went down to the first ocean flow and past PGV 55 was Fisher 17 and a bunch of them in Leilani and then when Hale Maumau hit that was the reactivation of Fisher 8 more or less that's kind of broad terms but yeah. you know what a, what a difference all that made and just in terms of of uh, enormity you know the size of the thing was just crazy and and I think the lava in those early days it was different right I mean it was it was a different consistency like it was slower, uh, more sludgy. Yeah, um, very viscous. That was fifty-five. Yeah, and we were just like, uh oh, like what is this? Because <laughs> remember, I don't remember because they were they were uh, talking about it. We we're just like, uh oh, what does this mean? We still haven't seen anything. Like, it was a very unsettling time because we didn't know what was to come next. Like, if we're seeing this old stuff, what? Yeah, and sure enough, sure enough, the Pu'u'u lava came through and it was fast more liquid right let's take a quick pause here so we can talk about some of our affiliates and then we'll, we'll rejoin the conversation okay we have to mention that we may get a smaller commission from the companies that we endorse but that's at no cost to you of course as part of our podcast, we launched a website on hawaiantimepodcast.com and we use Bluehost both to buy the domain name and to host the site. Go to the show notes on our website to connect to Bluehost. I highly recommend them. And in keeping in that theme of blue, we use Blueberry to host our actual podcasts. Right now, you can use our promo code to get your first month of podcast hosting free with Blueberry. The promo code is Hawaiian Time. It's just one word, no spaces, Hawaiian Time. Or visit our website and you'll see the link there in the show notes of the episode page and you can get there that way. Head over to onhawaiantimepodcast.com to find all the products we're using to power our podcast. Plus, you can support us by buying some On Hawaiian Time merchandise there too. We've got mugs, t-shirts, stickers, slippers, no baseball hats, and no joints. (laughs) (laughs) Plenty of Hawaiian Time stuff. 
Ryan, how did it, how, like, in terms of Hawaii Tracker's traffic, I mean, how much did it explode throughout the eruption? Because you guys have, what, over 50,000 people now following you? Yeah, yeah, so I think in we added maybe 700 or 1,000 people in the few days leading up to it because people all of a sudden like, oh, wow, something's, something's up, and they started paying really intense uh, attention to things. The day that it erupted and we started getting footage and pictures and we started doing detailed reports of what was going on. It was, it was like 1500 people a day. And just to, to back up, like it used to be this thing where I would manually go on there and see each person's name and click <laughs> add to group, you know? And, and I mean, it, it was just like adding hundred people at a time, hundred people, hundred. And, um, yeah, it just got, it was so overwhelming. Um, yeah, it was completely crazy yeah and, and that went on for i don't know a month or two and it very quickly we were up to 30 30 40,000 people um and then obviously it slowed down you know at a certain point point. and you guys are doing a california tracker now right yeah yeah so we uh that one we started as just kind of a service during this huge wildfires that were going on down there we, we just wanted to find a way like hey could could the hawaii tracker crew help uh, you know, because there's a pretty strong connection between Hawaii and California. A lot of people, you know, live in both places and a lot of family. And um, so we started that up during those uh, the huge wildfires. Uh, but, yeah, and then I also have a Roseburg tracker here in Oregon that, that I started up, and it's gotten pretty big. I think we've, we've seen the usefulness of the model of, um, of curating, uh, you know, high-quality, accurate, citizen journalism from from people in communities and um i think there's something to it you know obviously there's uh, you know looking out into the years to come i think there's going to be a shift in the in the model for journalism um you know the the, the older model is is becoming more and more difficult for it to be sustainable financially uh, it's just it's so much overhead and um so we're just you know i we we spend quite a bit of time um, just working on figuring out what what that's going to look like and how to how to make it sustainable. Because um, yeah, you know, even like what's going on right now, there's a lot of community newspapers all across the country that are just hanging on by a thread, and it's you know in the big picture, it's not good for communities to lose you know quality news sources. So. And now with this virus, the real the real news we're getting are the nurses and the doctors in the hospitals talking directly, you know, and they're not going to let news crews in there. You know, we realized as a news uh, a, a video production company that shot for the news that all of a sudden it's like that footage looks like it's from an iPhone, you know, that it's your news footage now comes from the guy's phone that he happened to be right there and shot the footage, so. Well, then that's all you need now. You have an iPhone, you're a reporter, you're a photojournalist, you know. I mean, the, the quality of an iPhone is extraordinary. You know, it's absolutely amazing. And, and I, you know, something that's really impressed me is when I was younger, in order to be on TV, you had to have some chops. You know, I had to kind of be able to present yourself on TV. And now, there are so many people that are so good at it that, you know, not even professional people. People are so comfortable now being on TV that it's amazing to me how good most of them are. Not all of them. I mean, there's still some <laughs> idiots like me, but, 
You know, there's a lot of them. That, the, the, most of the people that appear on TV are very poised. Yeah. You know, they're very calm and they're able to get get stuff across. And that's really what it's become. You know, it's um, George Orwell, you know, 1984, <laughs> except it's 19, 2020, almost at 19. I'm still back in the 1900s. See, that's how old I am. <laughs> you know, one of the things I talk about, um, everyone's like, how, you know, how, how did, how was I able to help cover it so much being in Oregon? And, and not actually being on the ground in, there in Pahoa or in Leilani. And looking back, it was a huge blessing being in Oregon because when I came out to visit, you know, during the eruption, it was difficult to, to find any time to actually sit down on my computer and write out reports of what was happening and breakdowns of which streets had gotten covered and, you know, the latest stats and things like that. Um, I couldn't have done it. If I would have been there, I would have been out running around like Ikaika and I, that's why Ikaika he used the medium perfectly he was doing those live videos um I don't even know if I could have done those you know so it was it was a it was a perfect balance I mean it um and we took our cues from you guys because you know originally like I said I came down and we were gonna sh I was in my mind shifting from okay we're not doing this light-hearted reality documentary type web series anymore we're going to document this eruption which is going to be well at the time we didn't know it was going to be historic but turns out to be historic and uh i say within a few days you know we see what you're doing what ikaika is doing and seeing this appetite for these live updates and we said so we have to figure out a way to do it live from the helicopter each morning and then you know mick obviously is providing amazing video and bruce is providing amazing photos but by the time they process those they're six seven year seven hours old i should say six or seven hours old um so we started talking about how do we live stream a gopro or an iphone or this or that and the iphone was relatively easy but the quality wasn't great and we wanted to get audio from the helicopter from these guys talking if we could too so hence the gopro which ended up on a mount on bruce's boot and became boot cam that was an incredible <laughs> service to the community i mean you, I don't know how many people, hundreds, I don't know if it, it got into the thousands, but there's so many people would tune into that. And that was, again, every day, that was our first glimpse, how far, what had happened overnight, you know, how far had it moved, you know, where was it going? What is Bruce, Bruce's boot seeing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we tried, Bruce, we tried to get that uh, mounted to your your hat or your camera at first, and then yeah. it wasn't working. Yeah, with... Yeah, you wanted to put it on my head, but there's, you know, in the MD500, there's no, no room. The thing would get knocked around on the door and then started talking about putting it on my, my body. Well, I shoot with three of them. So <laughs> which one do you put it? Yeah. Which one do we put it on, you know? And, and then, you know, I had been doing these, you know, footsies, shots of my feet, right, for a couple of years. By, by that time. And uh, so, you know, that was, that was the best place to put it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was crazy. I, I remember, I remember starting that, that live feed via the iPhone. So I'd be holding my iPhone and uh, giving everybody a quick look and then I'd throw it into the pouch. We're at home. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. Everybody was, Either one, afraid that we crashed or something, <laughs> or two, they'd be upset. You know, yeah. it's like, 
why is it all black you know we're sitting there no don't put it away don't put it away and all of a sudden it like it'd be gone we're like no (laughs) one of the most memorable moments with that boot cam was the the flight was over you guys had landed we were at hawaiian style eating pancakes and bruce you got a was it a text or a call from Ikaika? Said, "Oh yeah. man, that ocean explosion <laughs> was crazy." Yeah, it's like what explosion? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, "You know, we you're, that clip that you posted, that video you posted." So I'm thinking, wait, I don't shoot video. So I said, "Are you talking about mix video?" And he goes, "No, the video from this morning." And, and then it it dawned on me. Oh, boot camp footage, you know? So we're sitting at the breakfast table and looking through our phones for that clip. And then we watch it and it's like, holy. <laughs> yeah. Holy cow. So you <laughs> it's must crazy seen... that you guys didn't see it when it happened. Yeah. No, you know, I saw the aftermath, right? You know, we're flying over the, the, the ocean entry and we're, back then we didn't have the TFR over the water. So we're kind of low. And then, you know, every time an explosion would happen or something, you'd see all this upwelling occur in the water. And um, so, you know, I, I'm, I remember that moment or that flight and I'm shooting toward the front of the aircraft. You know, like we're looking down the coast and shooting. And I happened to look, you know, see something at, out of the corner of my eye. And uh, so I looked down to the right and there's all this of turbidity in the water and you know this upwelling it's like hmm that looks uh rather disturbing you know mm-hmm. <laughs> and then so we we keep flying and then it happens again and i i tell mick i ask mick hey did you see something he goes yeah yeah you know you know when we're flying and you try talking to mick he's he's a grump <laughs> Hey, whoa, bro, whoa. He mentioned something about he saw something, but, you know, I, I didn't know. I, thought, I got it. I, I knew I got it. Did you get that explosion? Yeah. Did? And what do you think about life in Leilani now, two years later? How are you feeling about being back in your house? Well, I, I love it. I mean, after about two months of being evacuated, we stopped and kind of went, well, are we going to have to look around? And when I looked around in the different areas on this island, you know, I still wanted to be home. I still really, really love my home in Leilani. So coming back about the first six months, we did nothing but put a lot of energy. I mean, we were two weeks away from putting a new roof on our house. So we re-roofed our house and back out in the gardens. And um, I really love it. You know, it's Interesting in that we are now a cul-de-sac. You can't go through uh, Leilani. There also talk of, of the different roads they're going to be putting in, the uh, you know, oh, um, Poiki Road they're talking about putting in. On that list, they also listed Leilani Avenue, uh, which is kind of mind-boggling to be going through the yeah, mouth right. of Fisher 8. That ain't going to happen. It's good. You know, there are still, you know, uh, the community in general has come together. Um, and there are still people that are, I, what do I want to say, PTSD. You know, everything, when something happens, it's a bit of a shock. And it's a, what's going to be taken from us or what is, you know, what's happening. But in general, I think I, I got to know our neighbors a lot more. We'd been in our home for two years and we knew some of our neighbors. But all of a sudden, we, 
were having daily communications with neighbors as, as the eruption got on and, um, and still have that today. So it, it's good. I, I love Leilani. It's a, it's a beautiful community and thankful that the lava stopped and, you know, know that it's a matter of time. I mean, that's got to be the facts. It's a matter of time. Hopefully I won't be alive. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, um, but there, it is, it's a strong community. Hey, Ann, there was a video I remember you taking of your property at one point when you thought it was going to be the last time you were going to see your property in your house. Because um, I, I was living with you and Mick as we were all evacuated to another home in Hilo, and you had shared the video with me, and then I knew it was supposed to be a private video, but eventually you shared it on Facebook, and it got quite a response. Uh, it was pretty emotional. Why did, why did you end up sharing that, and what was the intent of that video originally? Originally, I felt like, could this be the last time I would come to my home? Makes me tear up just thinking about it. And I love this place so much, but I know that it originally came through lava. And if lava was going to take it again, I was okay with that. You know, I, it was an acceptance of the gift that I had been given already. And what was going to come, you know, I, I couldn't stop it. So I wanted to honor my, my home. And I walked the property and talked about it and all the things I was grateful for. And then I just held on to it. And then uh, someone contacted me and said there was a group on Facebook coming together that wanted to share things that only people of Pune would understand. Only, you know, that would talk about the process people were going through. And so I thought, well, maybe I'll post it on there. And then once it went on to that, people asked if they could share it. And, and I was open to sharing that. And, but it was uh, something that was originally done for myself to share with family and friends and uh, uh, just something I needed to do in my process of uh, dealing with what was going on. Do you mind if I share that with our podcast listeners no, no right problem. now? So this is the last load that I think of, of the, of our stuff. I, uh, doing my last walk around of our beautiful property. It's a little burnt, you can tell, by the sulfur gases. I need to say goodbye. I need to give my thanks and appreciation for all that we have here. I've come and brought Pele a gift. It's not gin, but it is vodka. And I picked the most beautiful flowers in the garden just for her. And she will take the other flowers and everything else that she wants should she come through. But I am um, so thankful for what we have been able to do here on this property and all that we've been given. So, who, who knows? Acceptance, one day at a time. Oh, man. Because this, you know, at this point, it was just every day, it was just, it was speculation. Was it enough lava coming down? What was, what was going to happen next? And, you know, eventually it channeled. And once it channeled, it just ran. And Yeah, for, for two months. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I've never seen... A flow front like that flow front that had multiple multiple fingers in it. That flow front is a quarter mile wide. Yeah, that that uh, channel 
actually became um, a perch channel, yeah? Yeah, it did. Mm -hmm. You're right. The, at, at its widest point, it was probably over a thousand feet where it yep. made that bend in Leilani yep. before it started uh, flowing downhill and traveling faster. I mean, every day we'd fly over that that perch channel and <laughs> yeah. it's mind-blowing, man. You see yep. that. Massive. That lava flow and fissure rate was eight miles away from Kapoho. And the, the people in Kapoho actually were warned 10 days before that happened, but nobody believed them. Yeah. You know, and a few people took a few things out, but when it actually started coming down 132, they only had three days. Yeah. And really probably only two days that they could evacuate. It was too late. You know, it was too late. And we just, we couldn't believe that they rushed down there and took Kapoho Beach Lots in one day. Yeah. Almost every single house in one day. And then a pause for one day and then vacation land the next day. You know, it was like, whoa, yeah. you know, hundreds and hundreds of houses down there. Yeah. That, that was just stunning to me. Yeah, that was, I, that, I'd probably say that was the heaviest, I think it was the heaviest moment of the whole eruption because it was, it was what, I think that first day was th like 300 homes, something like that. Something like that. And, and then not only that, but it was just, it was one of the crown jewels of the, the island. I mean, right. And, yeah. and, and then, yeah, like you said, it was a compounding the pain, knowing that people, all their possessions were in their, their animals. Everything. I mean, yep. and it just happened so quick. Um, yeah, it was just, yeah, that was a, that was a hard, that was a hard moment. It was. That just, and the, and the I, hot pod too. Yeah. You know, places that everybody here loved. Yeah. And then we held our breath waiting to see with Poiki. And now you go down and you just see that wall and you go, oh my goodness. Yeah, it Thank was. Thank you. That, the, the Poiki one, that was, everybody was all, I mean, we, I remember going to bed one night and we, we just, I remember here, like we were all, I, the whole family came in and we were all emotional about it. We thought it was done. We went to bed that night just because we knew it was pumping. And if it didn't stop, it was gone by morning. And Sure enough, some point early in the morning, it had stopped. And I remember that next morning, uh, Ikaika had come around the corner in his boat. That's where we got that first glimpse. Like, it's still there. You know, we were just like <laughs> celebrating. And like, I mean, it, that was a pretty unbelievable moment. Like, that it stopped at the ex precise moment it needed to, to not swallow the rest of Puiki. Now, obviously, the sand has filled in things, which is a pretty big bummer. But, I mean... Yeah, the timing of it was pretty incredible. Oh, there, and there's so much sand that will still come down there. Yeah. You know, that uh, that it, it, from really in the ocean north of there, all that sand is still filtering down. That beach is just wider than wide now. Yeah. It's crazy. Where it, where it used to kind of be a crescent, it's now almost straight across. Yeah. Yeah, it's completely, it's wiped out all first, second bay, like completely all the way down. It's just going to go, it's a straight line all the way to third bay. But you're you're a surfer, right, Ryan? Yeah, it it's honestly so it was incredible that it got saved, but it took our it, it took the surf spot and we're, but, it was yeah. But isn't there a, a new one now around the corner? I haven't. Well, there's, so there's Third Bay, and I think that's where everyone's going. So yeah, I heard yeah. it was pretty good, but who knows? Yeah. That may that may get crazy too. Yeah, the the sobering thing is if if you're right and it's still the sand's still coming down, it'll it'll eventually take third. 
you know, because that's what it's doing. It's coming around that corner and just washing it right down. Well, and... we watched that happen when, when the flow went in the ocean in the 80s and 90s. We watched all the ocean entries, and that sand would go, you know, it, it filled in Kamoa Moa. It mm. built a quarter-mile-wide quarter, quarter mile wide beach where there was no beach before, well, you know. So the amount of lava, and this amount of lava is way more than that. Yeah. Way more, you know. Yeah. Crazy. There, there are so many beaches along that coast now. It's nuts. Yeah. It's, it's too bad there's no reef underneath to hold them, you know. Otherwise, it would be fantastic. But yeah. There's still some pretty cool places. Yeah. One of the most remarkable things when you go down to Pohiki now is the the lava wall that's hardened and is about 30 feet high and is butted right up against a picnic area and a, a grill. It it almost looks like something that someone created, an artist created. It's just out of another world. And you could sit at that picnic table and I think you could still use that grill, yeah. but the lava is like pushing right up against that <laughs> grill. It's crazy. <laughs> what a scene. Yeah, it really puts it in perspective because, yeah, and the same thing, right, a little bit a little bit more towards the ocean where the old showers were. You know, I think the shower head is still there and yeah, the lava's 20 feet above it. <laughs> it's, it's incredible. What are you guys, what are your thoughts on what's happening now two years later? We've got um, one of the highways, uh, 132, that's been redozed and opened again and more roads to be opened as they, as they are talking now. What do you what do you see for for now for Leilani in this area and the the future of this area Lava Zone One? I know drove driving down 132 for the first time and suddenly realizing this is the middle of that raging river, that it just blew my mind. It made me gasp. You know, it was unbelievable to think of what these aerial views that I'd been looking at were suddenly. You know, this was once a raging river. Yeah, my first drive down there, um, you know, it, it looked familiar because I, we had flown over it so often, but um, the, the sheer size of that lava channel, I mean, all I could think was, you know, holy shit, this, this thing is massive. Uh, that, you know, and the 132 cuts through the lava channel just above that island, that first big island um, in the middle of that channel, the braided channel, they right. used to call it. And uh, so that was where the channel was actually narrow. The, the lava was flowing downhill and faster. So, you know, compared to that, that massive perch channel in Leilani, that was really narrow. Uh, but it still was what, several hundred feet across. Oh, it's huge. It's still huge. Sure, sure. Mind-blowing. Yeah, well, the, the, flying from 3,000 feet up in the air <laughs> and then being down the ground is night and day, you know? Yeah, I mean, we knew it was large to really get a feel for how, how yeah, literally how wide it was, you know? Uh, well, we couldn't have gotten pictures crazy. of it if it had been smaller from that distance. We were too far away. But, you know, because it was enormous, then we were actually able to get some decent shots. You know? I think Pahoa is slowly coming back, but, you know, there's still now this, uh, the coronavirus situation and close, uh, stores clo and restaurants closing down. It's once again taking a big hit, you know. Will it come back? Will it not, you know? I know that 
the hub was such a big part of saving and supporting our community that it may, you know, it's going to once again take the community coming together to support it, to come back. The hub was the um, relief center that Ikaika was instrumental in helping start up during the eruption that uh, handed out lots of uh, food and clothing and just a place where people could get together and, and get information. I mean, what do they say now is happening currently with the, uh, with the volcano? Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's Mauna Loa and, and still, you know, monitoring what's going on up, up there at the National Park. Um, yeah, it's just, it's anybody's guess at this point. <laughs> I mean, something's, something's going to happen, you know, sometime soon. I don't think it's, I don't think things are going to be boring for much more than another year or two. Something will happen eventually, but Ryan, I'm not so sure you're going to see it for a while. Hmm. I, I doubt seriously it's going to happen this year. Yeah. And maybe not even next year. She put out everything she had. <laughs> yeah. You know, the bathtub is empty. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, it'll be, yeah. That was, I think that was our big thing. It was like, okay, how long is it going to take for things to refill, you know? And so we were, we have somewhere we have our, our guesses are written down when we're going to see lava next. I think mine is 2021, maybe June. Mick, don't, Mick, don't you have a hundred dollars? I do. Jason, Jason Chan and I bet a hundred dollars and I will see Jason's Benjamin in next January. <laughs> Because it's not going to happen this year. That's funny. Oh, man. Well, Ryan, you guys are still doing an amazing job with the coverage of COVID-19. Dayton DuPont is, um, seems like he's live 23 and a half hours a day on Hawaii yeah. Tracker. He's amazing. And uh, he's burning it at both yeah, ends. amazing. So we're thankful for that. And, and um, glad to see that you got the recognition from Facebook so big, but from other organizations that have stepped up to say, you know, and honor you guys for the hard work you've done. We really, really appreciate it. Yay, Hawaii Tracker. <laughs> yeah. No, that was that was awesome. Yeah, I know those guys have been, you know. I I apologize for not being around recently. I just, you know, the this latest disaster, the COVID disaster, it was really it's been unique because it's everywhere at once. You know, in our community here, just as much as the community out there, and and so I've I've definitely been spending a lot more time, you know, covering it here. Um, but yeah, the team has been awesome, covering things out there, and um, yeah, we look forward to the day when things calm down a little bit <laughs> we won't we'd rather cover lava <laughs> <laughs> yeah but not not in our backyard okay? no not in the backyard yeah somewhere <laughs> else well i think this is a uh, a good place to uh to wrap this episode up unless anybody else wants to throw some more in there i'm open to that but uh that's been great so wait 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 you gotta let me do my joke now okay Oh, you know, I thought we were going to get out of this one. Oh, come on, come on, give me a break. <laughs> you know where you take somebody that's been injured in a peekaboo accident? No. I see you. Boo. <laughs> I see boo. Oh, come on. <laughs> like to thank Ryan Finley for joining us, and thanks for all of our wonderful participants. Good to see you guys. Thanks a lot, Ryan. Aloha. Aloha. Really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Okay, so that's going to do it for this episode. But before we go, we need a favor from you guys. Please go to our website, onhawaiantimepodcast.com. You can click on the contest link up on the top there. And uh, we're going to make it easy for you to subscribe to this podcast. You go to the contest page, 
there's some options there. You click on subscribe to Apple or Google or you know, you can put the secret word in from the first three episodes. If you don't know the secret words, you have to listen to the first three episodes. And uh, one lucky listener is going to win a $100 Amazon.com e-gift card in participating countries. I want to win. I want to win. I want to win. Nope. Employees and families cannot uh, win. Mm-hmm. Families of employees. And we got some cool merch there. Shirts, slippers, coffee mugs, and more. Check it out. Big mahalo to our logo designer, Joel Marcus of M Inc. And to Jamie Colazzo of Silver Lion Sound. Mahalo, guys. This is kind of an experiment now, you guys. We'll leave it up to you to decide if it becomes an ongoing series. But we can't do it without you. So help spread the word. Ahui ho. I'm Meg Calvert. I'm Bruce Omari. I'm Ann Calvert. I'm Tim Coakley. And you've been on...